and let's read the scriptures. Are you ready? Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for the scripture and how it comes into our lives and then shines light everywhere. And so, Lord, go into every dark corner and every part of our past and even even parts of our anxiety and about the future. And, Lord, would you show us how we can live? Would you reveal that to us and give us the grace to obey you? In Jesus' name, amen. It's really important for you to understand that the reason we exist as a church is to make a difference in people's lives, to make a difference in neighborhoods. The reason we went from one location to three and have a vision for ten locations at least is because we believe people only make a difference if they can own the place where they live and they really understand the culture in which they live and they can reach out to others. It's driven by this idea of making a difference. And everybody wants to make a difference. Everybody wants to do great things, don't they? I was just watching the pennant last night, right, between the Astros and Yankees. Any Astros fans? Three? That's awesome. Yankees fans? No. Good call. They, they were screaming in the stadium. So the Astros won, and they're screaming the name of Justin Verlander, the pitcher. He was, he, he was their MVP, MVP. It was incredible to watch them come back from being down and then, and then kill it in Game 7. It's going to be fun to watch. Here's Justin Verlander has been pitching a very long time. It didn't happen last night that suddenly he became great. There's got to be something that we embrace that makes our life meaningful and makes a difference every day because we want to leave a legacy. A legacy. That's the name of this series we're going to go into for the next four weeks. It's called Legacy. And really the question for all of us is what, what do you want people to remember about you when you're gone? What do you want your legacy to be? I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've done this. It's a, it's a kind of a weird practice, but writing your own obituary. You ever done that? Write your own. It sounds morbid. It sounds like creepy. Like I'm going to write my obituary. But here's the question. What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? What do you want your life to have stood for? Because when you read every obituary, for people who have made a mark of some kind, they've made a legacy of some kind, they, they're, they're, the first line of their obituary has it in there. I looked up some, some obituaries, pulled four from the New York Times. Here, here's one. These are, these are all famous people. Rosa Parks. Here's her obituary. A black seamstress whose refusal to relinquish her seat to a white man on a city bus in Montgomery, Alabama, almost 50 years ago, grew into a mythic event that helped touch off the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, died yesterday at her home in Detroit. She was 92 years old. What an incredible woman. She didn't plan to be an incredible woman that day or to start a movement. She just wasn't going to give up her seat on the bus. She'd, she'd done it several times, but there came a moment when she said, I've had enough. 
And, and so she becomes this woman who's known her legacy, touched, sparked a movement. Here's another one, Mother Teresa. Here's her obituary. Mother Teresa, hope of the despairing, dies at 87, September 6, 1997. Mother Teresa, the Roman Catholic nun who won the 97 Nobel Peace Prize for her work among the poorest of the world's poor, died yesterday in Calcutta, India, where she had lived since her work with the destitute began five decades ago. She was 87. Here's one who's recent, kind of in pop culture, Carrie Fisher, who just died recently, an actress, author, and screenwriter, Miss Fisher, brought a rare combination of nerve, grit, and hopefulness to her most indelible role as Princess Leia in the Star Wars movie franchise. John Glenn. John Glenn died on December 8, 2016, at age 95. A freckle-faced son of Ohio, Mr. Glenn was hailed as a national hero and a symbol of the space age as the first American to orbit Earth, then became a national political figure for 24 years in the Senate. Now, I want you to think about these obituaries. I want you to think about these people. Think about Carrie Fisher. She did not know that she would be known after she's gone for Princess Leia. In fact, it was very painful for her. She didn't want her legacy to be the weird girl with the funny hair. Right? She, she, it was painful for her as an actress, but it beca she became known as Princess Leia. That's who she was, no matter what other movies she did. John Glenn, on the other hand, used his moment in space, right? His moment to, to move forward in his life and begin to uh, invest in his home state and then became uh, a U.S. senator and, and became to be involved in politics. He used that moment. Mother Teresa never actually had a moment. No one singular moment. She just lived for others. She just served others. She just gave to others over and over again. Rosa Parks was never seeking fame when she got on that bus that day. See, some people take a risk and then something happens. Some people lived for others. Some were caught in the center of pop culture and uh, others took a stand that ended up being a symbol. But your life and my life, we have to ask this question, what do we stand for and what, what are we all about? It can be defined by one moment or it can be defined by a long string of, act of actions and activities but we gotta, we got to understand what our legacy is going to be. And we're doing this series because it's important for you and me to ask this question in a routine manner. What are they going to talk about when we're gone? What are we going to do in this life that will live beyond ourselves? We're doing this because our church needs to answer this question. What is the legacy of one chapel? We just passed our seven-year anniversary as a church, and we, ha we went from a movie theater to a commercial office building to a high school, then back to the commercial office building, then to a, a, a movie theater down in Kyle, and then to a, a little church in Lake Travis, and we have a vision for 10 churches being planted over the next 10 years, and we want to dot the landscape with the message of the gospel everywhere that it needs to be in Austin, 4.7 churches per 10,000. That's what Austin has. 4.7 4. churches per 10,000 people. It's not nearly enough. The national average is 12 per 10,000. We have 50,000 people moving here every year for the last few years. We're never going to catch up. We got to get the gospel planted in places where it's not yet.
question is, are we going to do it? And when I say we, I don't mean me. I mean you and me. And so legacy, what is it? Here's, here's the definition, all right? It's in your notes, I think. It says something such as a tradition or a problem that exists as a result of something that happened in the past. Something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die. This is interesting. Everybody leaves a legacy, but some are good and some are bad. There's some really bad people that left a legacy of tyranny. The most iconic is Adolf Hitler. No one thinks he did a good job in life. Zero people worldwide. There's, this, is, this, is like a, this is like a thing where we have to understand, we have to be purposeful. We have to realize that as we look at these obituaries, legacy looks different for different people. Here's what the Bible says about it. Psalm 112, 5 through 6. Check this out. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely. Look, listen to that. I, I want you to read that one more time. Good will come to him who is what? And what? Lends freely. We're talking about giving yourself away. You're talking about being generous to other people. He says, the, the, the sentence continues, who conducts his affairs with justice, meaning this is right and it's just and it's intentional. Verse 6 says, surely we will, he will never be shaken. Hey, hey, the psalmist is telling you and me how to never be shaken. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor Russell, you say, you're, saying I can, you're saying I can avoid shaking? No, I didn't say that. There will be shaking, but you can avoid being shaken. You can be firm. You can be built on a solid foundation. You can leave a lasting legacy no matter what storms come in your life. He says in verse 6, surely he will never be shaken if you don't, and, and, if, and, and I think this issue is, that, that the psalmist is clarifying here for us is if you don't define what your legacy is going to be, your problems will define them for you. The storm will define it for you. Your problems will define it. A righteous man will be remembered forever is what this scripture ends with. And I think this is how we want to live our lives. This is where legacy begins to take root, where life lives on. God wants you and I to live lives that go beyond ourselves. So how do I do this? I think the psalmist is telling us in this passage two things. He says there's two things. Here they are. Number one, he says you will, you will live out a lasting legacy if you're giving to something that will outlive me. Outlive yourself. If you're giving to something that will outlive you. Here's what you got to do got to find a cause, got to find a church, got to get behind something. You're not just talking about money. I'm talking about time, energy. I'm talking about talents, skills, ideas. You have things to give. The worst possible thing you can do is spend everything on yourself. The worst possible thing you can do is think about all your gifts as something that you can create for you rather than for other people. The worst thing that can happen to you and me is that we leave a selfish legacy because we're because we're spending it all on ourselves and using it up on ourselves and being consumed with all our stuff. But not just in my giving. The psalmist says, you can live a life. Living so my life outlives me. 
You can live in a way that your life lives on. You're saying, this, wait, this solves all my problems? No, I didn't say that. The problems don't go away. You'll still have trouble, but you now have something bigger than your problems <laughs> that you can, you, you can live for, bigger than your problems. Don't be defined by your problems. Be defined by something larger, something greater, something grander, something more essential and significant. For some of you, your finances, your relationships, your families, you're just, everything is about slugging it out every day. You just get up and your problems are defining for you. And the question is, what are they going to say about you when you're gone? He was a nice guy. He tried real hard. I think God wants more for us than that. He wants more than that for every person. Does God want us to be nice? Of course. There's nothing wrong with being nice as opposed to being rude and crude and mean. But there's something more that your life can be remembered for. This is what life is all about. You and I... As a church, you know what, We're, this, is, this is not just about us individually, this is about us together because all that one chapel is, is a collection of our stories together. And the question is, where are we in the story of God? Where are you individually and where's our church? Where is our church in the story of Austin? What's going on in our city that, that is part of this story that we're going to have to figure out? What's going on in our culture that we're going to have to stand up and lift our eyes and be willing to make hard choices and do things that will give our lives away, surrender ourselves, and solve the problems of our own society. I kind of want to sign up for that. I, I kind of want to sign up for the, the, the problems we're experiencing in Austin. I'd love, for, I'd love for, for us to think about solving the problem of the sex slave trade in Austin. We could do that, you know. Us and other churches that would gather together, and we could, we could solve that problem. There are things going on in our culture that if we would just open up our eyes and lift it from ourselves, there are things I think God is asking one chapel to become and to do that are going to go beyond what we've known before. And I, I think we should, I think we should band together and we should go for it. We shouldn't shrink back. See, there are two parts to your life. Two parts, right? There's the part on earth. And then there's the part in eternity. Now think about this. Think about this. This is really weird. I get, are you guys listening to me? You're like, everybody's like, listen, think about this. Your life on earth is significantly shorter than your life in eternity. <laughs> you don't think about that very often, do you? You don't think about how your life is so short here and everything you do here means something there. You're going to live a lot longer in eternity if you if you have received Jesus as a Savior 
and as a friend, if you trust him, if you've yielded your life to him, if you've surrendered to him, you believe that what's coming is greater than what's here, which is what gives you hope. Which is what gives you hope, which is what gives you strength. And that gives you, that's gotta give you purpose as well. Most of the stuff we talk about on a Sunday is, you know, we're talking about stuff on, on earth. But most of your life does not live on earth. And we're all going to stand before God one day. You and I and everybody on the planet. Here's what Romans 14 says. It says in verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? In other words, why are you thinking about what everybody else is doing? Think about what you're doing. Don't point fingers at other people. Just, just think about what God is doing in you. For we all stand before God's judgment seat, is what it says. You and I are going to stand one day, and we're going to have our day in court, and we're going to stand before God. Verse 11 says, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. Every, everybody on the planet is going to recognize who Jesus is one day. That's the, the overarching story of history and God's story on the planet. Perfect creation at the beginning, marred by sin and disobedience and hatred and tyranny. And then he sends his son into the middle of history to represent himself with love and miracles and healing and saying, I didn't design you this way. I designed you for better. I'm calling you to better. And Jesus ushered in a new age of kingdom living. And it was something, and the, the age we're living in is supposed to look forward and say, oh, we're living now. We're practicing now how we're going to live then. We're practicing now how we're going to live when Jesus returns and fully takes his place of reigning over the world. So then verse 12 says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. You guys ever, like, think about how you take tests? We got like, two, two groups of people. Some people take really good tests, like they're good test takers, you know what I'm saying? Other people, they study, 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 and then they're like lousy test takers. How many, how many terrible test takers have we got? Yep, yep, yeah, it's how many, how many great test takers? You could stay up all night, you cram it in, and you can, do, you can ace it. Yeah, that was me in college. It was very bad for me. I know next to nothing because I did that so much. <laughs> I, 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 I went through college, and I, I had all these extracurricular activities and all this other stuff, and, 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 and I, I learned one day that they actually, the teacher, before, before cell phones and all this stuff, pe people, you know, in my, in my day, in the dark ages, we had, like, answering machines in dorm rooms, and, and very few people had a computer, right? But, but they had these old tests from the year before, <laughs> were like they would pa be passed around to people and I heard about this <laughs> I, I never did it <laughs> I didn't do it but here's the thing the test is real wouldn't it be great if you could have the questions before you take the test wouldn't it be great if you could have the, the all the test questions you know you could ace it if you had the questions when you step into eternity there's going to be a test and you got to know the content of the test. I don't know exactly what language he'll use, but God's already shown us ahead of time what the test requires. It's a two-question test. Here it is. Two questions. Ready? The first question, 
And it'll, I don't know exactly how it'll be phrased, but it's going to go something like this. What did you do with my son Jesus? God's already told us this. He, he's already given us the answer to the test. What did you do with my son Jesus? Revelation 12, 11 through 12 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. In other words, they got all these books out there, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So lots of books, and then one big book. The dead were judged according to the, what they had done as recorded in the books. Everything you and I have ever done is recorded in these books. This is kind of a picture of heaven. This is where we get this idea of the book of life, the, the Lamb's book of life. It's, re, it's, um, it's listed as in other places in Scripture. And it's where we get what's called the great white throne judgment. And when it happens, you, you, they're going to look through the books. They're going to look through your life with the other books and uh, can't find him, can't find him. No, they're not here, not here, not here. Where, where's my life? Where is it? Oh, it's in the Lamb's book of life now. Ah. And you want your name to be in the book of life, not the other books. You want your name to be in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus wrote your name there. There'll be many people who have resisted Jesus. There'll be many people who have insisted on paying for their own sins. God says, I gave my son for you. I gave him to you. All I wanted from you was to you, for you to give your life back to me. Jesus erases everything in the, in the recorded books about us and starts a new chapter and a new idea about our lives when you're written in the Lamb's book of life. Look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? You know what that is? That's a, that's a, like, like some people will come to me and say, we did a bunch of church stuff. I went to church. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the answer to the test. The answer to the test is not, I was a good person, I went to church. That's why we want you to experience and know God, because the answer is, I know him personally. What did you do with my son, Jesus? I know him personally. I know him. <laughs> I can't say that line without thinking of Elf. the movie I <laughs> Santa Claus gonna be here I know him I think that's what the answer to the test I know him Jesus I know him he knows me and he's like yeah Ross come on up here in other words Jesus is the priority in my life not just a knowledge about him but of friendship and relationship with him. Some, some of you have that here and some of you don't. Here, this, this is the thing. Don't pay for your sins. That separation that you have from, from God, don't, don't insist on paying for your sins. The first judgment determines your eternal destination. In other words, this is the, the, the heaven and hell question. And listen, make no mistake, Jesus, 
There's, there's no part of God that designed any place for him to send people like hell. God doesn't send people to hell. I, I believe what happens is what C.S. Lewis describes, the brilliant author and theologian, that people insist on living without his presence all through their lives. They resist, they reject, they push away. They insist on doing their own thing, living their own way. They insist on not having his presence in their lives and at judgment day, they can have what they want. What they've wanted. I think, I think this is a terrible thing that we have to wrestle with. I don't like talking about it. But I think standing on judgment day, there will be this evaluation. There will be this process and we have to understand it in a way that says, Jesus, I want, I want to be with you. So the second question is something like this. It's what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? And it, it's only asked if the first question is answered in the affirmative, correctly. If you, if, you, if you answer, I know him personally, then the next question comes. And the next question is what did I do, what did you do with what I gave you? And listen, I have a responsibility to help you answer this question well. I want to make sure that you have what you need here to, to answer this question. 2 Corinthians 5.12 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Matthew 16.27 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward. Everybody say reward. 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 <laughs> you guys like reward. He's going to reward you. He's going to reward each person according to what he's done. Notice the word reward. In Greek, it means this word actually, when you, when you put, pare it down to the, that Greek language, the original language, it says to, it means to pay you back. Jesus wants, think about this, Jesus wants to pay you back for all that you've done in this life. All that you've done on earth, he wants to pay you back. Like you're thinking, like most of you are thinking, uh-oh. That's because you got this negative, what, what, what Christ is trying to do is call us to himself and then call us to a life that is lasting in the legacy. And the legacy is what Jesus did in our lives and we poured our hearts and our lives into people and what Jesus says is I'll pay every bit of it back and more. That's what he wants. That's what he's trying to do. Once heaven is your destination, then how you live your life matters. The answer to the second question, what is it? I gave my life away. I gave my life away. I lived my life so that I realized my life wasn't just about me. Now let me show you how to do this. Because I think, I think this is so challenging for all of us who live in a consumeristic, 
convenience-oriented culture. Everything screams about our comfort, and we have to figure out how to live our lives in a way with, with heaven in mind and with a legacy in mind. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. I want you to think about this. He has set eternity in every person's heart. You can't escape it. You think about it. Every person, even those people who don't know Jesus at all, there's something in their heart that thinks about the afterlife. People all think about it. They wonder about it. There's story after story all through our history of humanity about the afterlife and what it is, and no one has come back except for one, and his name was Jesus. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He came back and wanted to show us how to live. And so, God put eternity in our hearts. So many of us don't know what to do with this. So you live your life spontaneously. You live your life intuitively, by chance, haphazardly. Whatever happens just kind of happens. One of the worst things I've ever heard people say is, well, you know everything happens for a reason. Yeah, but some of those reasons are terrible. Because mean people live here on this planet. Some of those things are just stupid. They're just ridiculous. And people taking advantage of other people, th- that's not God. God doesn't do any of that. There's plenty of wickedness and tyranny on the planet. God doesn't need to create stuff to teach you things. That's not God. There's plenty of that to go around. That's not God doing his work. Now, having said that, when we go through something challenging and difficult... And when there is persecution or when there is something that challenges our mindset and we, we respond with the love of Christ, God, when we place that in his hand, God comes to our rescue. When we allow him into our circumstances with mean people, with mean bosses, with challenging circumstances, when we invite him to come into it, he does something. Romans 8, 28 says he makes something really good out of it. He doesn't cause it. So, how do we do this? If we're going to stand before God, we're going to be asked these questions, let's do it. Let's decide. Let's decide as one chapel. Let's decide as a church we're going to be a church that's going to leave a lasting legacy. I'm not sure you're convinced yet, but I'm going to give you three things to do. I'm going to spend the next four weeks and we're going to talk about how we can be a lasting legacy in our city. Because listen, I didn't come here. I didn't come here to Austin. I didn't risk all my family and career and all this stuff that we've been through over the last seven years to see it kind of wither away. I think God wants us to make a lasting impression and impact on the culture of our city with his presence and, his, and, and our commitment to loving people and to loving each other. I think he's calling us to it, and we have to answer the call. Number one, how do I do this? How do I leave a lasting legacy? How do I live beyond myself is really the question. How do I live beyond myself? Number one, I will give, I will intentionally give what I have. See, everything is about being intentional. And I didn't say you give what you don't have. So many people get so consumed 
with what other people have, or they get consumed with what they don't have and they wish they had, and they're just, all their prayers are about this and everything. God wants you to take what you have. If you live in America and make $30,000 a year, you are in the top 2% of the world as the richest people on the planet. I know, everybody hates hearing that. Everybody's like, well, but the cost of living is cheaper in the Sudan. Yeah, but just, I mean, this you don't—you're not getting it, right? Like, like you just have to take all God wants you to do is take what you have, what you have, and then He wants you to do something good with it. He wants you to give some of it away, not just money, but gifts, talents, abilities financial resources you've been given you and i have been given so much here's what second corinthians 9 11 says it says you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to god now here's a practical a couple of practical ideas about number one all right i think if you want to be a giver you and i should practice percentage giving become a percentage giver not an emotional giver you see the little thing on the TV come up and the babies who are starving, I, I, can't, I, I gotta give to that. You know, that's the same mechanism that, uh, that the, the, the shopping channels use <laughs> to get you to buy stuff. Like, ooh, look at that, I wanna buy that. You don't be moved by your emotions or by just what you want. You are moved by something else, a more intentional purpose, a more significant idea. Now. You, you, you certainly you can give in the moment that's not inherently evil but if that's all you ever do then you're just going to be going here and there and every every charitable event you go to you you're just like and if you have the money to do that awesome keep doing it but most people don't but they refuse to give intentionally to something meaningful and purposeful i think as a church we have to adopt the, the, what the Bible tells us to do. And the Bible uses 10%, right? The Bible uses 10%. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. You're talking gibberish. 10% actually is not the bottom of, of what the Old Testament nor the New Testament talks about. It actually goes up from there. Here's what I tell people. Okay, if you don't know how to give intentionally or be a percentage giver, start with 1%. Just start with 1%. You don't, have to, you don't have to, like, break the bank. Take what you have, calculate 1%, and become a percentage giver. Become an intentional giver. Then the next month, go to 2%. Go to 3%. Go to 4% the next month. Five months later, six, nine, ten months later, I promise you your finances, your, your, all your anxiety about who, what you have and all this stuff will be totally changed. Financial Peace University, we have it here because we want people to get a hold of this because there are two big idols in our culture. The top two idols are money and sex. Power is another one, but, but, but I think these, this, this, this thing, you know, about, about getting enough, like we just don't have enough and we just got to keep getting more and more and more and greed gets in our hearts. Listen, percentage giving roots that greed out of your heart. 
It says I'm going to be intentional. I believe in what Jesus is doing. I believe in the local church. I believe in what, what chapel is doing. I believe we are, are doing this together. This is not Ross's job. This is our job together. So we're going to do this. Amy and I have been practicing this all our lives, and we have never been in need, ever. We've wanted stuff, but we've never been in need. And so we're going to practice something. Really, we haven't done this much in the first seven years, but we're going to practice something. We're going to take what's called a legacy offering because we're going to practice what I'm talking about. And the practice is, I want you to, all I want you to do, I don't want you to give out of some kind of emotional uh, frenzy or any of that. I, I, don't, I don't think people should give that way. I think they should give by being intentional, and they should decide how much they should give. That's what the scriptures actually say. It says, pray and decide how much you should give. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. And so I, we're going to have a, 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 what's called a legacy offering, and that legacy offering is going to propel us forward with vision. And you're going to be hearing about vision over the next three, four weeks here. You're going to be hearing about what one chapel is, who we are, where we want to leave lasting legacy. And that offering on December 10th, I want you to start praying about it, and I want you to ask God, simple as this, ask God what you should do, and then just do that. That's all I want. If you look at your cup holders, or sorry, not cup holders, <laughs> your the, the pocket, I don't know if they put them in the pocket or if they're on your seats, but there's a little card right there. Where's those little cards? Those little kindness cards? Do you see them? Thank you. I lost mine. I had it in the first service, and, and I lost it. See this? I want you to look, take, take this out and just kind of hold it up here. All right, you know what this represents? This represents your ability to be a giver in your life. You should take this card this week, and you should take a whole bunch of them, and you should just start practicing it. Pay for somebody's coffee who's in line behind you. Do something like get a, bake a bunch of cookies and take them over to your neighbor and just put this here and say, it's a little something extra because I want you to know God loves you. I believe we have to start practicing this in our routines, in our activities. I think we've got to do this more and more often. There's a whole list of things that you could do. If I, if I just list them off here a little bit, um, you could, you, I, I got all lost in my notes now. Um, here it is. Uh, ha mow someone's yard for free and then put that thing in their door. Pace for someone's fast food meal behind you in the drive-thru. Give baked goods or a small gift to the postman or delivery person. Pay for someone's movie that's behind you in line. Help someone you know who's struggling financially. Pay for someone's meal. Be a giver. Do something that takes the focus off of you and, and, and brings the focus of Jesus into your life. Number two, what do you do to leave a legacy? What do you do to live beyond yourself? I will intentionally serve others. I will intentionally serve others. Now, some of you are new here, and I, when you come to church here and you're new, I want you to be able to just absorb, understand, get, get healing, whatever you need. But some of you have been sitting here a while, and you don't serve anywhere around here. It's time to say, put me in, coach. It's time for you to begin to act out What's going to leave a lasting legacy in our church? Matthew 20, 26 through 28 says, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
This is the model that Jesus gave us. Listen, there are so many people who serve diligently and faithfully on Team One, but they, we always need help. I don't care how many people we have in the children's ministry, they always need some extra hands to help them. That's the way you begin to, to invest and make a lasting legacy because you decided. And it's not just, well, Professor Ross, I mean, okay, I can invest in some five-year-olds, but is that really going to mean anything? Yeah, when we all choose to serve well, then it's not just those five-year-olds in those, in those rooms, which are enough for me. If you'll invest in a five-year-old and teach him the stories of Jesus so that he remembers them as he grows up, so that even when he's dabbling as a teenager and kind of trying to figure out life, that he remembers this story that comes back into him that is so eternally valuable. I'm too busy. I got too much stuff to do. You know, my, my life's so out of control right now. Well, listen, there's only one person who's really in control of your life. It's you. Did you know, did you know that self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit? God created you to control your life. I know, you've heard a lot of times, I just want God to be in control. Actually, he gives you his spirit, and then he says, I want you to be under the influence of my spirit, and I want you to take control by the work that I'm doing in you and make intentional decisions and decide who you're going to be because you have a powerful will, and that will can do incredible things for people and for eternity. Number three, finally, I will intentionally share Jesus you, got, you and I have to look for opportunities to share what he's done in our lives. Listen, I, don't, I just want to mention this from number two, because I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling here. There's 30 organizations on our website, onechapel.com, where you can get involved in stuff outside the life of our church. There's places in the city where we should be doing work, and we're going to do more. Get involved with the For the One outreaches. Get involved in, you know what the easiest place to volunteer is? Vol Falltober. <laughs> Serve. Do something that allows you to pour your life into someone else. In this third point, I will intentionally share Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. This is what life is about, is sharing what God wants for people and his story. Here's what Luke said in verse, chapter 14, verse 23. He says, go out into the country and urge anyone you can find to come in so that my house can be full. God wants his house full. Mark 16 says, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. That's why we're going on missions to China and to Indonesia and to Mexico next summer because we all need to do this. Why? 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 is our last scripture. It's command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants to give you stuff that's fun. He wants to do something. But the problem is we don't understand what is truly going to create joy just like we don't understand what's truly going to create a lasting legacy. 
I think these are important questions for us. He's talking to the church here. Actually, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church, and he says, command them, whoa, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. I'm commanding you to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Why? <laughs> because there is so much more to this life than this life. So much more to this life than this life. Close your eyes, bow your head, let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come, and we're going to come to the Lord's table. I know we're going a little bit over, but I think we should come, and we should just let God speak to us, because this, this, this is meaningful. So, Father, would you just speak to our hearts, and would you change us, and would you transform us? Lord, some of us, have, some of us in this room, we don't know you. We don't have a relationship with you. Some of us have had a relationship in the past, or it's been, but, but now we're not living in a way that allows you to be part of our lives. And Lord, we want you to ask you to forgive us. And we want to welcome you back into our lives. We want to know you. We want to know Jesus personally. A bunch of uh, the others of us have... <laughs> have become consumed. We know you, but we just, we, we're not able to resist the temptation of our culture and of our convenience and of our consumerism, and we just seem to keep going on about our business without considering the legacy we may leave. Would you speak to us now? Would you call us, call us to live beyond ourselves? you call us to this table because Jesus set this table his body the broken body the broken bread for our nourishment and our healing the cup the spilled blood of Jesus for our forgiveness forgive us Lord make us new change our perspective we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.